Come away with me and we'll kiss on a mountain top. Come away with me and I'll never stop loving you. Breakage. When the doorbell rang, Cal got off the bed and went into the office room to crack the blinds enough to see who it was. The way she slouched, one hand on her hip, puzzled him. Also how she was dressed. She looked straight out of a 30s private eye flick, with her hat and ankle-length skirt and the purse dangling from one hand. He started for the front door, thought better of it, and swerved into the hall bathroom to check himself out. He was a mess. He hadn't worked a shift last night. But still, he'd helped close the bar. In fact, he'd quit tending bar a month ago, thinking he'd have sold the house by now. He ran a comb through his hair and tucked in his T-shirt. Hoping it was someone from the realty company or someone who'd seen the sign, he opened the door. Hello, he said. Can I help you? Maybe, she said. The sun was behind the house, and he had to search out her features. Tri-City Realty suggested I put your house on my list of possibles. Her smile was tired, but pleasant. Hope I'm not intruding? Not at all. He made opening the door and inviting her in as grand a gesture as possible under the circumstances. It must be late afternoon, and he'd had nothing to eat all day but the last of a jar of kosher pickles and some anchovy-stuffed cocktail olives. Uh, My name's Cal Noonan. Alice Brookmeyer. Her hand felt warm and dry in his. Pardon the way the place looks. Letting his hand drift out to display the home's interior, he realized that things didn't look bad. They just looked absent, since Marilyn had split with all of the main furniture. The woman had turned from him and was gazing at the sliding glass doors to the patio, the golf course beyond. He waited until she returned her attention to him. 17th Fairway, he said. Look left, you can see the tee. Right, and there's the green. I'm not much into golf, she said. Yeah, but you've got to admit it's one hell of a view. That's true. Her smile was crooked, and there was something about her eyes. They had that Jessica Lang oddness that seemed more suited for an animal. You from this area? Pretty much. Then you know you'll rarely need air or heat. Mean temperature is better than Hawaii's, she put in, smiling bigger. 20 minutes from the beach? 30. Then you know the drill. Pretty much. Well, he said, follow me and I'll show you around. He led her into the hall. Right here is where I made the golf cart garage into an office. He didn't tell her he'd done it for Marilyn. Instead, he told her, "Uh, it's where I do my writing. He watched her scope the almost empty bookshelves, the one desk Marilyn had left him, a laptop she'd given him months ago. You're a writer, Cal? Yes. Marilyn would hoot at that distortion of fact. Maybe he could talk to this woman who'd used his first name so comfortably, convince her that the house would fit her needs. Uh, What sort of a place are you looking for, Alice? She had stepped in and out of the hall bathroom. Something about this size, she said. There's just me and my daughter, Carrie, and, and she'll be teaching at the college most of the time. 
She removed her hat, exposing a display of unruly dishwater blonde hair. San Luis? Santa Barbara. Here's the second bedroom. Marilyn's daughter got her master's at Cal Poly last year and for a while stayed in this room. Christ. He feared his words were rebounding as echoes. He turned her with a hand motion. And this is the master bedroom. Panicked by what he felt were vibes of failure, the sadness of a room gone sour, he quickly opened the blinds and drew them back. She shaded her eyes with her palm. Another view of the golf course. In all its glory, he said. She was silhouetted against the deepest part of the course, an endless scene of green swales and mature trees. While she took in the view, he stole a glance. Not a bad figure. Little heavy in the legs. Then, Jesus, she backs up a step and sits on the corner of the king-size bed Marilyn had never liked. Then pounces off of it like she had burned her bottom. Oh, no, she said, appearing truly shocked. I I can't believe I did that. No problem. He gave her a minute. Did you get a peek at the huge bathroom, the the walk-in space? He watched her as she passed him. She was blushing, and and he smiled, thinking how they were just a pair of veterans, both in their roaring forties. Desperate years, he knew from his profession. When she came out of the bath and vanity area, he said, Did you notice the jacuzzi? He cut off the urge to say how it helped to relax aging muscles. She went left toward the hall. How about the kitchen, she asked. Can I get a peek at that? The hand gesture again, like he was a practiced host after you. He snapped on a hall light. Now he'd make his assessment. Yes, they'd make quite a pair. But first some questions. I didn't see your car. I walked there from the main gate. Husband drop you off? They were in the kitchen. She was looking out the window toward the houses across the street. I'm divorced, she said. Have been since Carrie was 15. She seemed riveted on something out front. You? She turned, and there came that blush again. Uh, I had no right to ask you that. That's okay, he said. Marilyn is a girlfriend, but I've been divorced before. Twice, but he didn't feel the need to go there. Kids? A son. From the first wife. Last he'd heard, Mark was living in Europe. Uh, He has a business in Germany. She nodded and began to swing her purse in a slow rhythm as if offering him to say more. He crossed his arms. So how did you get to the main gate? Carrie left me to look at your house while she drove up to the Mesa to check out some others on our list. Should he buy that? Why not? As they walked into the main room's dining area, he spread his hand toward the patio. We never felt the need for blinds on these doors. From out on the course, you really can't see up here. She shaded her eyes with her hand. I imagine it's quiet. Yes. He'd set up a card table and a couple of metal chairs for his frozen dinners. Uh, Would you care to sit down? Seated across from her, he began his most conspiratorial voice. I'm going to come clean with you, Miss Brookmeyer. Alice. Yes, he said. Well, Alice, here's the deal. Uh, Marilyn and I made a down payment on this house two years ago when the market was jumping. He leaned back to gauge her reaction. She'd placed her hand on the table, fingers spread. No rings. 
Well, he went on, I don't have to tell you how the economy has taken a nosedive. No. Her composure added to her mystery, and he tried to read her face. She had those eyes, he conceded, and something else there at the corners of her mouth. I understand, she added softly. That was it. She understood. Not just the economy. He was sure she meant more than that. He said, uh, Marilyn and I have split up. Oh? And I'm not really a writer. No. There it came, that softness around the mouth, the way her eyes settled on him. The day's last sunlight mirrored differently in each iris. I'm a bartender, he said. Marilyn is the writer. She just got her second book deal. He chuckled. She writes children's books. Wow. And she chuckled, too. Marilyn's new contract had bought her a life without a live-in bartender. But he wouldn't admit that. Chances were this woman had detected it. Uh, Though I am writing a screenplay, he said, encouraged by the way she'd rested her chin on the back of her hand. I'm calling it Closing Time. Unplug Them People. It's from a Lyle Lovett song. I like it. Speaking of which, uh, would you care for something from the bar? Is it five o'clock? This was forced, like she was trying too hard to be hip. In Zanzibar? That works for me. Again, a phrase that sounded borrowed. First, he'd get business out of the way. We paid uh, 475000 for this house, uh, plus the remodeling. In reality, the total down was ten grand with Marilyn's credit. His credit wasn't bad either, but that was another book about his years in the service running an officer's club in Japan and two marriages where he'd hid not only himself but most of his money. Uh, less than a year ago, he said, a, a model like this one sold for 750000 He mentally went through his stacks of threatening mail from the mortgage company and other collectors. Right now, if someone offered me half a mil, I'd hand him the key. That's pretty close to what I figured, she said, arranging her hat and purse on the table in front of her. His cell phone rang in the bedroom. Hold that thought, he said. I'll be right back. Cal answered the phone. It was Donna at Tri-City, asking if he'd had anyone come by about the house. We've had a report about an Alice Brookmeyer, Donna said. The way she said this, like it was a name on an official report, sent a chill through him. Hold on, Donna. He stepped out of the bedroom, looked down the hall. Alice was standing with her back to him. He craned his neck. She had taken off her shoes and, from what he could tell, was barefooted. Had she been wearing stockings? Jesus. She turned around, catching him with those eyes, smiling. He smiled back and held up one finger, mouthing, one minute, as if they were at that point where such intimate gestures were natural. Back in the bedroom, he spoke softly into his mobile. What about her? Donna asked. Has she been there? No. You sure? Why wouldn't I be? No reason, Donna said. But we've heard that she's scoping out our listings. So? We've heard some alarming things. Like what? That she's a glass breaker. Donna sounded like she'd clamped off a giggle. That people have had trouble with her before, breaking windows and stuff. Her daughter has evidently been looking for her. From what she told Mr. Roberts, her mother has a psychosis of some kind. A what? Cal, are you listening? Hello? I said the woman breaks glass. 
from what Mr. Roberts says, she's wanted. Wanted? By whom? I don't know, Donna sounded exasperated. Mr. Roberts has left, she said, but he was talking to someone who knew her background. You sound like a gossip monger. Gossip monger? That's not very nice. We'll talk about it over a drink at Highway 1, Friday, when you get off. Cal, Donna said, you don't work there anymore, remember? How about you concentrate on selling my house and don't worry about where I work? Not my fault you put your name on the dotted line. Mr. Roberts warned you that Donald Aspen didn't have your best interests in mind. I'd say that's astute, Donna. Donald freaking Aspen ran off with my girlfriend and left me holding the mortgage. Because you thought you could outthink him. He tried to come up with something aimed at her and Tri-City being the only winners. Somebody was making a killing in this disaster. But what did he know? He was just a bartender. See you Friday, he said. Maybe you can bring Freddie Mac with you. Hell, bring Fannie Mae too. One of them should have enough bailout cash to buy a round or two. Why don't you ask that Carol thing across the street from you, the one who claims she's writing that old movie director's memoirs? You've been playing golf with her all the time. Twice. I played with that Carol thing twice, and she'd beaten him both times. She's an ex-pro, for Christ's sake. And a gold digger, Donna said. Marilyn had told him the same thing when she'd found out he'd shown Carol his screenplay. Later, Donna, he said, folding his cell phone, almost trotting into the hall. Alice stood against the twilight. He slowed his pace. Sorry, just a call I had to get rid of. She was dropping a cell phone into her purse. I understand. He looked at her eyes, her bare feet, then back at her eyes, wondering what else had she put in her bag. Looks like you got a call, too. Uh, my daughter, Carrie. Problem? Uh, just that she is still up on the mesa and will be for quite some time. She smiled. I can call her later. Later. Good word, he thought, the way it seemed to open things up, provide room to assay the situation, make the right decisions. He walked into the kitchen and checked his liquor cabinet. What's your favorite drink? Martini. Just like that. This odd woman he'd never seen before, standing there with that slouching posture, natural slope to her small breasts, ankles not nearly as heavy without the clunky shoes, ordering a martini. What's your favorite year? Gosh, I'm not sure. Pick one. 1962. He grinned. Probably the year she was born. Made her 47, a year younger than him. Well, he had her beaten mileage. Classic 62 martini, he said in a stage voice. Tangeray gin in a Cointreau rinse glass, garnished with an anchovy-stuffed olive. You're kidding. Nope. In truth, he'd picked the classic 57 because of what he had on hand. Just part of my shtick. She advanced a step, her hands clenched in front of her. This is truly exciting. I'm going to have to use triple sec for Cointreau, but I'll promise not to bruise the gin. You know who said that? she asked. James Bond? Somerset Mom. Cal closed his eyes, putting that one on file. I'll have to remember that. They were on their refills. He held his drink high. Here's to you finding a house you like. He clinked his glass against hers, whether it's this one or not. Thank you. She tasted the drink. This is better than the first. Cal felt the cold gin curl into his stomach. 
a hint of it rushing into that point right between his eyes. I meant that about the house. I know you did. There had been a moment when he'd set their first drinks on coasters bearing the Highway 1 logo when he'd suffered that funky feeling. But it hadn't lasted long. And when he'd punched in Nora Jones, his and Marilyn's favorite CD, his mood had steered away from nostalgia. He lit their second cigarettes, thinking how this would look to Marilyn, who'd banned smoking inside the house. He slipped out of his shoes. Believe I'll join you. She put a hand to her brow. Oh, I did take mine off, didn't I? She removed her hand to reveal a red mark on her pale forehead. A, a habit from my time with Alberto. She held her fingertips to her mouth as she chuckled. Uh, my ex was a jockey, always aware of his small stature. He laughed with her, uh, but could think of nothing to say that wouldn't ring of an old bar joke. He got up and turned on the patio lights. How's that? Wonderful. She seemed to be following their reflections. Tell me about your screenplay. He, too, watched their images, there against the darkening golf course like a double exposure. Donna's words about her on the phone came to him like a bothersome draft, but he was too high to bother with such scuttlebutt. He cleared his throat. It's based on 10,001 Nights Behind the Bar. All the lies, confessions, secrets, threats, and proposals kept and canceled over the years. He'd been hoping to use that line on Sid Ludwig, the old filmmaker across the street now that Marilyn was gone. Things I've seen and heard forever. Forever? My dad was a tavern owner in Billings, he said, thinking again how worthless it usually was to go on too much about himself, especially so soon after meeting a woman. The way she nodded urged him on. My mother waited tables and ran the restaurant, he said. I was out of high school by the time I learned there was more than bussing and washing dishes, eating while standing up between shifts, going to bed every night after midnight. He failed to catch a sigh. Shoot, I remember listening to them come in at three, too tired to fight, too drunk to have sex. He finished his drink. Uh, pardon my language. She reached out and took his hand. That's all right, she said, pulling his hand into her chest. That's quite all right. He could feel her breastbone rising with her breathing, her quick, soft kiss on his knuckles as she bent her head down. When he tried to make light of this little outburst, he felt his throat close down on his first word. He lowered his head and, for a moment, felt her hair brush his cheek. He finally swallowed. How about another drink? Still holding his hand in hers, she asked, Do you happen to have any wine? She stretched both legs out to the side as if to arrange her feet for viewing. He could tell she was proud of them by the way she stiffened her toes and then wiggled them. You have beautiful feet, he said, putting out his cigarette alongside hers. Let's see yours, she said. He lifted a foot, still in his sock. Without the sock, silly. After I get the wine, he said. Don't go yet. She'd raise his hand to where he could feel her warm exhale. If you had one word to say what you feel right now, what would it be? Just one. And it can't be a lie. Hopeful, he said feeling that spot between his eyes grow warm. Now, I'm not talking about the new administration, though that might be part of it in a way. The world's bailout and stimulus came to him again, only this time with new meaning. She let go of his hand. 
repeat the word for me. Hopeful. That's lovely, she said, pulling her skirt to her knees so she could wiggle her toes higher in the strange light from the patio. Perfectly lovely. Still focused on her toes, she said, My word is similar to hopeful, but it suggests a bit more. Yeah? Yeah. Still watching her feet, she said, My word is eager. And then she looked at him, like I want something big to happen. He felt that heat flow into his trunk, like hope only with more action. Exactly. Red wine or white? Red, she said, if you have any. I bet I can find some. It was more than the bar axiom. Beast at midnight, beauty by closing time. Hell, he couldn't wait to get back to her. But she deserved a good bottle of vino. Rummaging through boxes, he heard Carol's golf cart and the drive across the street. He hit his door opener. Carol gave him a wave, and he trekked across to meet her. It was getting dark, but he could tell she'd had a few at the club after her game. Hey, Noonan, she said. You forgot your shoes. She was still in her shorts and her usual sleeveless top. She held up a scorecard. Even par on the back, but the front was a nightmare. The back is where you win the pushes. He moved closer. Uh, Look, Carol, he said. Could I borrow a bottle of red? Maybe some munchies? You can borrow my cart, she said. The clubhouse is four minutes away. Glancing back at his house, he couldn't see a thing in the window over the sink and all the other views open to the golf course. He looked back at Carol. I promise to repay you. She yanked her cap down and peered at his house. They sat in the clubhouse as a strange woman wandering around this side of the course. She rocked back on her heels. And if anyone can be flypaper for that sort, it's you, Noonan. Come on, Carol, I'm begging. She hopped in her cart, backed it into its space, got out and switched on a light. What kind of red? Anything. It seemed forever before she was back with a bottle of wine and a bag full of snacks. You owe me big time, she said. He balanced his plunder. I gotta run. Watch it, Noonan. Her face displayed exaggerated forewarning. You're vulnerable since Marilyn split. Seeing her standing there half-juiced and faking worry made him want to get back to Alice before he unraveled. Hopeful, he thought. Eager, he thought. He almost stumbled as he turned to shuffle across the street. Midway, he picked up the pace, feeling torn between joy and panic. Once more, he looked at his kitchen window. For a moment, he thought he saw Alice gliding past his view. He hoped she hadn't heard anything that would suggest he'd betrayed her. In his garage, he managed to find two bottles of two-buck chuck Cabernet. Never know, he thought. The one Carol gave him might not be enough. He pressed the garage opener with his elbow. As the door came down, he caught one last look at Carol. Her body angled as if the descending door was a final act curtain. This filled him with glee. God, he couldn't wait to tell Alice about it. Inside, he saw her immediately. She was laughing almost silently as she moved toward him. Did you have to go borrow some wine, she asked. Yeah, he said. Did you get a look at Miss Scruples over there? This time her laugh broke loud and hearty. Sure did. He set the snacks on the sink board. Goodies, he announced. Then he put down the borrowed wine next. I think it's from that new winery in Paso Robles. She turned the bottle to read the label. Looks like a fine Merlot. He carried both two buck chucks and a corkscrew into the dining area and put them on the card table. 
she had turned on a lamp that offered a soft glow. Also, she'd restarted the CD player. He placed his hand in the small of her back and turned her once, as if in a dance. She moved effortlessly, and he felt his own muscles relax. When he began opening the first bottle, she moved around him to watch. After he opened the second one, he faced the patio. Observing their reflections, he said, Cheers. She copied the way he'd lifted his bottle. Cheers. They drank in tandem. God, the sound of their drinking from the bottle, it had an eternal sound, as if they were gulping fuel. He felt a portion of the warm wine ooze from the corners of his mouth, small rivulets coursing over his chin and down to the V in his neck. The stopping point for him came at the same instant it did for her. They laughed together with wine-smeared mouths and heaving chests. When he put his bottle down, she followed suit. He took his time replacing the corks. They stood as teammates, fixated again on their reflections. It's like we've transferred ourselves into our mirrored images, he said. We can get us back, she said. Sure. He reached for his bottle, gripping the neck cross-handed. There in the glass, she did the same. He waited, feeling better than he had in weeks. Maybe better than ever, since this moment seemed as close as he'd ever get to freedom. It's all right, she said. Again, he hesitated, his pulse pounding in his throat. He watched her reflected face, then just her hand. She hadn't moved, but her words were so close. They came to him as if they were his own whisper. He checked the glass to see if her lips had parted. Yes. You go first, she said. <laughs> 